Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. On this season of Mystery and Murder, we bring you a story so wild you couldn't make it up if you tried. Or could you? This is Dr. Phil diving deep on the case of Sherry Papini. You're listening to Supermom Missing. In November 2016, Supermom Sherry Papini vanished after going for a jog outside her home in rural California. The only trace left behind was her iPhone and headphones. Now, strands of her blonde hair were wrapped around them as if they had been yanked or torn off of her, maybe in a struggle. Law enforcement conducted a nationwide search for her, and the investigation gained worldwide attention. Hundreds of tips were submitted to the sheriff's office and the FBI. Now, at the outset of this disappearance, all signs pointed to an abduction, possibly a crime of opportunity. We're talking about a pretty blonde, small in stature, so therefore easy to overpower. She's running alone on a desolate road, which means there's no witnesses, probably no cameras in that rule of an area. And there are signs of a struggle. Now, they're not overwhelming signs. There's hair as though something had maybe been snatched off her head. But the phone and these earphones are kind of just sitting there on the road. Like, why would they be there? Still, Occam's razor, you look for the simplest explanation first. Scotty didn't beam her up, so you think, given the backdrop here, given the context, You would think if she goes missing, it's going to be involuntary. The most common sense explanation would be this small, alone woman in a remote area most likely would have been grabbed. Pretty quickly, Sherry's husband, Keith, was cleared. He said he and Sherry had no marital issues. They occasionally fought like any married couple would. And he talked about the last fight they had, and it was over things that are usually expected to occur in a marriage. It was a messy room. Keith said that Sherry could get loud when she was angry and knew how to push Keith's buttons. Now, let's talk about what's going on with the investigators. As I mentioned before, you always look at the spouse, particularly if it's the wife that's gone missing, because statistics tell you That's a pretty good place to look. They've got oftentimes motive. They've certainly got opportunity. And they certainly have means. When they question the spouse, they certainly don't expect the spouse to say, well, since you ask, yeah, I I, I did it. So they're expecting a denial. 
and they're really not paying attention to the words that the spouse is saying when he says, I didn't do it, because they know that that's going to be said. They could write that out before it's ever spoken. What they're paying attention to is how it's said. They're listening to what isn't said. They're paying attention to whether or not he's answering questions that aren't asked. Is he oversharing too much detail? What's his body language? For example, when people are lying, their blink rate will go from maybe 17 a minute to 70 or 80 a minute. Their respiration changes. They often switch their body language. They do different things that are physiological signs. And even if you're trained in this, you can't possibly control them all. It's like whack-a-mole. You can whack this one and one pops up over here. You whack that one. One pops up over there. You whack that one. You can't keep them all under control. And you're having to manufacture a fiction at the same time if you're lying when the investigator, and there's almost always more than one, are monitoring and maybe recording so they can study it later. So they expect you to say, no, of course, what they're paying attention to is what isn't said and how what is said is said. So when they go through this with Keith, everything seems to be tracking. Everything seems to be congruent. And what you're looking for is incongruence. But they go through this initial interrogation, this initial interaction, and come out of it feeling like, you know what? He's answering this pretty much the way you would expect a husband that's frustrated and confused to be answering. But behind the scenes, from the very beginning, investigators spotted some activity on Sherry's cell phone that gave them pause. As I navigate around my new studio here in Texas, I like to be prepared for anything like unexpected interviews outside in the rain. That's why my Vessies are my absolute favorite go-to shoes. They keep my feet snug, dry, and stylish. My Vessie Stormburst fits my professional vibe, ensuring style and comfort in any weather condition. Transform your everyday routine into an adventure with Bessie's Stormburst. Comfortable, stylish, and waterproof. Not water-resistant. Big difference. Bessie's lineup, Stormburst, the everyday classic, and Chelsea offers unparalleled comfort for all-day wear. Embrace every moment come rain or shine with Bessie. Head over to Bessie.com mystery to explore our versatile collection and claim your 15% discount on your first order. Visit Bessie.com slash mystery for footwear that will gear you up for the whole year round and get 15% off your first order. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. They analyzed her cell phone records, and they found a number stored under a woman's name. It just didn't belong to a woman. 
It actually belonged to a man that Sherry knew, a male acquaintance from Detroit, Michigan. Now, she was texting with this individual just days before she went missing. So, look, as a detective, you are expected to approach all evidence with a healthy degree of skepticism because you're wanting to look at everything in a balanced way where you don't have a bias. You don't have a positive bias. You don't have a negative bias. You just have a healthy degree of skepticism. So when you see something that doesn't add up, like a man that is stored under a woman's name, you're thinking, okay, uh, that could be a mistake, uh, but it could also be she's hiding something. And if she's hiding one thing, as we say in Texas, for every rat you see, there's 50 you don't. So if you see one rat, you got to say, all right, what else are we going to find here? When they analyze this and find out that this is a guy in Detroit, Michigan, and she's texting with him days before she went missing, if it was a mistake, she knew it was a mistake, why would she not have corrected it? So she was intentionally hiding this person's identity under a woman's name so it looked benign. It pointed police to a possible new suspect and, frankly, many possible new theories. Was she having an affair and her husband found out? Had someone Sherry knew and had been seeing taken her against her will? Had she run away with a lover? So all of a sudden, you've now got to set up a whiteboard in your office and say, okay, we got A, we got B, we got C. That puts Keith back in the mix. It puts a new person back in the mix. And it puts her on the board as well. Husband could have found out and done it. This man could have taken her or she could have consensually run away. So you have three theories now, whereas before you had one. Now, Shasta County Sheriff's Office said the text messages went back several months and stopped just days before her disappearance. Is that a coincidence? Well, as one that doesn't believe in coincidences, I would say no, but let's just keep going. In a text conversation between the mystery man and Sherry on November 1st of 2016, the two discussed meeting up in Redding, California. He was coming to the area on business. They planned on meeting days before she disappeared. Now, travel records showed the man did, in fact, travel to San Francisco on October 28, 2016, and then flew back to Michigan on November 2nd, the same day as Sherry's disappearance. Now, if he's flying back home on the day she disappears, could he have been there to snatch her? That kind of puts him somewhere else. But investigators traveled out of state to interview him and look for her. They didn't find her. He admitted to investigators that they met back in 2011 when Sherry was traveling for work. He said the two spent the weekend together and continued to exchange flirtatious text messages throughout the years. He said although they had planned to meet during his trip to California, 
it never materialized. Now, keep in mind, when this was happening in real time, detectives didn't release this to the public. So all of us in the public are still looking at these images of the perfect family, the perfect mom and wife who's just gone missing. But they know a lot more than they're saying, they being the detectives. So behind the scenes, investigators are peeling back the first layer of this mystery. What this so-called super mom, super wife, was hiding behind the picture-perfect, loved-up family photos that, as I said, looked very staged to me. Now, once you have decided that, okay, we've got somebody here that is projecting one thing and living another, what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that you're dealing with someone that, A, is consciously projecting one thing and living something very different, and two, that they are capable of and have the energy to put together a web of deception. Once you realize that you're dealing with somebody that has that bent, that capacity, that proclivity, you now have to start looking at this entire case differently. I said I don't believe in coincidences, and let me tell you what I'm talking about. Some people have a proclivity to keep a lot of balls in the air, to wear different hats, to live a duality. And then some people just don't. And when you encounter somebody that does, you have to start saying, okay, this is like looking at things through a prism. You can get a lot of different views and not know which one is real, but it tells you you're dealing with somebody that has the capacity to manipulate, misdirect, and completely hide what is reality. So these detectives all of a sudden have a very different animal on their hands. Having spotted a crack in the marriage, they start to pull it like pulling a thread on a sweater, and guess what? It led them to a second man saved under a fake woman's name in her phone. Now, okay, as I said, people either have this proclivity or they don't, and we've now got the beginnings of a pattern. Not one, but two guys. So for sure, we're not dealing with coincidence or accident here. This is a second man saved under a woman's name in her phone. Sherry Papini had the public fooled. Perfect marriage. The question is, does she have her husband fooled? If she has her husband fooled, then he probably has nothing to do with this. If she only thinks she has him fooled, he could be up to his ears in this because if he found that she was involved with not one but two men and it pushed him over the edge, he could have been the one that did the snatching if any snatching took place. Now, so far, he's reading as consistent. He seems to believe she is perfect. 
But as I said, what she appears to be is not what she is. We haven't found any pictures. We don't have any witnesses. But it does look that she's at least having an emotional affair. What does that tell investigators looking at this? Does it say that there's a disappearance here, or does it say that she has upgraded her relationship virtually from this phone activity to something in the real world? Has she run off with man one or man two? Has she broken it off with man one or man two and they didn't take it well? All of a sudden, this whiteboard we've got up on the wall is getting really busy. So investigators interview man number two. He tells them, yeah, sure, I met Sherry in 2000, 2001 at a Friday Night Live youth program. He says they dated after that for several years. So while Perfect Papini is living this one life that she's projecting to everybody, she's got this ongoing relationship with this individual for several years. So I guess man number one overlaid man number two. So for Keith, he was living with her as husband and wife, while she was dealing with not one, but two other men. So she's got three balls in the air at one time. What he told investigators was really adding to the complexity of this case. He said Sherry wasn't the innocent, perfect mom the media was portraying her to be. It can be assumed it made them think twice about the woman they were looking for, the woman they were dealing with, the woman they were trying to profile and get a sense of what she was likely involved in. And you have to wonder if what he told them got them thinking, is this a real-life Gone Girl? I'm talking about the best-selling book and movie where the wife meticulously fakes her own abduction. Now, that's pretty out there, but like I say, the whiteboard on the wall is getting really busy, and they're listing suspects here. She's got to be one of them. It could be man one, it could be man two, it could be Keith, and it could be Perfect Papini. Now, Sherry's ex described her as an attention-starved woman and claimed she would often make up stories to try and get the attention she craved. He claimed Sherry had fabricated stories of being the victim of abuse from her family and her father. He claims she accused him of abuse after they broke up. Now, investigators called the director of 24, the Friday Night Live youth program, to follow up and ask some questions. The director told them Sherry was the only person they feared having in the program because she was good at creating different realities for people so they would see what she wanted them to see, which got her really good attention. Now, that's a quote. Let me say it again. 
She was good at creating different realities for people so they would see what she wanted them to see, which got her really good attention. That's starting to really round out a profile of Sherry Papini. She's got men hidden under women's names in her phone. One of them she's carried on a multi-year relationship with while married to her husband, while posting all these perfect family pictures. She's seeing a second man while she's having this relationship with the first man, which all was going on concurrent with her marriage. Now, fear is a strong word. And that's the word he used. When you're dealing with somebody that is so manipulative, someone that can love bomb you, gaslight you, program you to see what they want you to see, that can get really scary. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. So we have to get down to asking that far-out question. Was Sherry Papini someone capable of stepping out of that perfect picture and running away and feeding off the attention of a nationwide search? Is she someone so starved for attention, so narcissistic in wanting to be the focus that she would orchestrate something so she could pick up the paper, click on a news website, and see her face where everybody was focused on Sherry Papini. One of the tools that this type of person uses is to put on the victim hat. When someone is looking for attention, sympathy is a great currency for this type of person. If they can get people to feel sorry for them, say, oh, she is so precious. How could anyone abuse such a sweet woman? How could anyone dare lay a hand on someone? And look what she's overcome if she's been victimized, if she's been abused, if she's been in some way hurt or neglected in her upbringing, 
look what she's overcome to have such a wonderful family. If you want someone to have sympathy and admire you at the same time, then you have to raise the stakes and show what you have overcome. And if you've got someone that's beautiful, particularly if they're petite and you can get people to believe that you've been abused, now you've got the perfect combination. You're beautiful, you're lovable, and you've been victimized. Oh my gosh, this is attention gold for someone like Sherry Papini. If you now roll that up to, it wasn't enough that she lived with that. Now look what's happened in her life. Someone has snatched her off the side of the street. What hell, what torture could she be going through now? Oh, my God, everyone is worried about and hurting for Sherry Papini. But the detectives are already determining that this may very well be a house of cards. So they're starting to dig not just into what's going on right now. They're starting to ask, okay, who is this woman? If she is able to do all of this, we need to find out who we're dealing with here. And they uncover that Sherry had been married before Keith. Now, not much was known about her previous husband. And she certainly hadn't been advertising it because that didn't fit the perfect picture. Her mom told him Sherry's husband was in the military and they traveled the world together. But when investigators tracked him down, he told a very different story. He was in the military. He said they were married in 2006 prior to his deployment overseas. He said Sherry married him only to get health insurance due to complications related to regular egg donations. Now, I got to take a pause here. Regular egg donations? How many of you know someone that makes regular egg donations? Were they donations? Was she selling eggs? Why was she involved in this at all? It seems like there are so many sides and so many tentacles to her personality and involvement, there's just no end to it. I don't think anybody would have predicted that. And she's involved in it enough that she marries somebody to get insurance to cover this activity. Is she part of some syndicate that's doing this? Does she owe somebody money? You could talk about this forever. Who knows? But it just isn't typical. I think this is the only person I've known that ever married anyone to get insurance to cover egg harvest. It's certainly atypical. And let me say, I know a lot of women that very selflessly make egg donations, and that's a wonderful thing to do. But it's the marrying someone and getting health insurance 
that colors the whole thing in a suspicious way. The egg donation part of it really doesn't seem to fit the rest of her personality because that's a very selfless thing to do. And she seems much more selfish than selfless in terms of what we're seeing going on here. So it makes me wonder how this all fits in. He said they never even lived together and certainly did not travel the world together except for one time when she visited him in Japan. He said when he returned from deployment, Sherry told him she had found someone else and wanted a divorce. He said that Sherry had told him that her family abused her while growing up. After the divorce, he says he heard from mutual friends that Sherry had a history of lying. So it immediately occurs to him and to the detectives now that she's making up abuse allegations to garner sympathy. And when they look in their notes back to man number two hidden under fake woman number two in her phone, that after they broke up, she accused him of abusing her. So again, we're seeing a pattern. When she puts somebody in her rearview mirror, she uses them to garner sympathy. When her parents are in their rearview mirror, she accuses them of abuse. When man number two's in her rearview mirror, she accuses him of abuse. Clearly, sympathy and attention are currency for Sherry Papini. Why wouldn't faking an abduction fit right into that pattern? The question is, is this her leverage? She had a sham marriage manipulation. She did it to get health insurance, which was a scam, manipulation, and leverage. So they're starting to say, is there anything this woman won't do? Investigators also interviewed several of Sherry's friends, and they said she was crazy and wild as a youth. Again, that's a contrast to the image the public was getting of the wholesome missing mom. These friends also claim Sherry had a history of running away. Okay, time out. A history of running away. I've often said the best predictor of future behavior is relevant past behavior. They said she even ran away from home at 16 to Southern California and stayed with friends. Does that predict something now as an adult? Could she be pulling a similar stunt? Multiple friends also stated that Sherry would just make up lies and had been lying since she was a teen particularly about being the victim of abuse. So in putting together a profile, is this a pattern of getting attention, manipulating people, getting sympathy, and therefore control? Now, as I'm watching this unfold with what we know now, it's apparent to me that there's an active theory among the investigators that 
there's going to be a return on their investment of time by looking into her at least as much as they would get from looking into other potential bad actors. The fact that they're spending time talking to people in her background, these men that she's got hidden on her phone, people that she worked with at the church, her old friends, they're trying to get a pattern because they think if there's a perpetrator here, it might be her. There's no other reason that they would be digging into her past, finding out about her personality, because they're not looking in her past to see if somebody emerged from her past to abduct her. They're asking people, what was she like? Did she lie? Did she misrepresent? What kinds of things can you tell us about her conduct? And what they're finding out is that there was pathology consistent enough that it's in every phase of her life. It was in high school. It was after that. It was with the relationship she had once she was married. It was in her first marriage. It was consistent throughout her life. So they're finding out that there's a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships that alternate between real intense involvement and manipulation, accusations, and lies. There's clear impulsivity here. There's this tendency to play a victim. They're obviously seeing something that is pathological. There's no other way for them to see this. So clearly they're looking for a perpetrator, but she's on the list at this point. So as I said, cops now have multiple people on our whiteboard on the wall, but she seems to be gravitating to the top of that list. She's got a history of lying, manipulation, playing the victim, all to get attention and get whatever she wanted. As I say, when you see one rat, there's 50 you don't. And we've now seen not one rat, but two, three, four, five. So that just tells you if we're seeing this much inconsistency, God only knows what we're not seeing. People that don't know each other are telling the same story about this woman. And what is that story? That she lies, she manipulates, she accuses, she plays the victim, and it's all to get attention. That her currency is sympathy and attention. People that she knew in her early life who don't know people from her married world are all saying the same thing. They didn't get together and compare notes, but they all have the same experience of her based on their relationship. Now, at this point, they've got to say, could this mean she is somehow alive and her abduction was not what it seemed? This played out a lot in Gone Girl. If you hadn't seen it, you might want to see it. 
The wife fakes her own abuse by using different pens to create a year's worth of journal entries detailing made-up abuse she suffered at the hands of her husband and leaves the diary for police to find. You gotta wonder, is she copycatting Gone Girl? Now, you might ask yourself, this sounds really melodramatic. Do people who have problems, do liars, manipulators, get ideas from movies and books? Do they think that they're smarter and can pull this off? Do they study these things and then try to put them into play in their own lives? Let me tell you something. These people will take inspiration from anywhere they can get it. They might see it in a movie. They might read it in a book. They might have known someone in middle school or high school that truly was a victim, and they take part of their life and draft it onto themselves. They read something in a book, and they put that onto themselves. They pull all of this together and come up with this false identity. But now, again, at this point, the police haven't revealed any of this. You, me, the nation is still searching for this missing supermom. And then suddenly, out of the blue, in another move, ripped straight out of the Gone Girl plot. Guess what? Sherry Papini shows up alive. Coming up next week, Sherry Papini turns up alive, but not unharmed. She is found emaciated, chained up, bruised, and even burned. And the story she tells police about the torture she endured is nothing short of what's in a horror movie. So were investigators wrong to suspect Sherry ran away or staged her own disappearance? Were they kicking themselves for doubting the injured, kidnapped victim who sat in front of them? A strong woman who, against all odds, miraculously made it home safely? Or was there something about her story that still just did not add up? All of that and more on the next episode of Mystery and Murder, Analysis by Dr. Phil. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. 
Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.